Welcome to At The Movies. Sit back, crack a beer, and enjoy. And what the devil is all this about? Why was I brought here? Games? Must we? Not that I mind a slight case of abduction now and then, but I have tickets for the theater this evening. To a show I was looking forward to. And I get, well, kind of unreasonable about things like that. With such expert play acting, you make this very room a theater. Welcome to At The Bre- <laughs> Welcome to the seventh episode of At The Breweries, where we drink beer and talk about movies. My name is Rob. I am a film professional working in post-production. My name's Ben Legue. I'm a professional civil engineer in the city of New York, but I'm also occasionally an amateur stage actor as well as a full-time movie film enthusiast. My name is Tom Perrazzo. Um I'm also called Bowser. Right now I'm on Long Island, and I am a lawyer, but I also like talking about movies. My name's Andrew. I'm a radio engineer. I don't like movies very much. I prefer to just read Wikipedia and then form a judgment based off of that. And if you can't tell, we are recording in the time of COVID-19, so we are all in separate locations. Coronavirus times. So with all the downtime because of coronavirus, I think we've gotten some social media replies. That's Actually, right. Yeah, we have from our uh, our bonus episode to ask for uh, recasting of Glengarry Glen Ross with a modern cast. And we got a couple of responses. We got an email in from a James D. So I'll read it off and see what you guys think, all right? So for Shelley, Willem Dafoe, oh. um, Ricky Roma as Ryan Gosling, Blake is Daniel Day-Lewis, George as uh, Joaquin Phoenix. I feel like they're all oh. just staring like off into the distance for the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, they moved the office to Idaho, and they're just staring at, at They're all just bailing hay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Moss is uh, Michael Keaton. Jesse Eisenberg is Williamson, and Viggo Mortensen is uh, is Link. So yeah, I think it, it's, Ooh, this will be much more pensive, there. pensive. Yeah, uh, definitely. Casting. I like that Daniel Day Lewis is Blake. He would just be his character from There Will Be Blood. I assume. <laughs> yes. At least that level. This of is not my Cadillac. I've abandoned my coffee. Abandoned my coffee. Abandoned my leads. That's a good movie. Yeah, I think <laughs> these are all pretty. They're all very different, but yeah. I, I, I kind of like it. Uh, Chris, our friend Chris, responded to our Twitter, um, and they were they're very different, but also very good. So for Shelley, we have uh, Brian Cranston. For Ricky Romo, we have Bradley Cooper. Blake is Christian Bale. George is Steve Carell. Dave is Ed Norton. Williamson is Rami Malek, which I thought was pretty inspired. I like that. And then James Link is Forrest Whitaker. Oh. oh, whoa. Interesting. Yeah. Bring yeah. you right back to Paddock Room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, full full circle. J- Jody Foster plays the uh, Chinese restaurant owner. <laughs> yeah, and then at the end of the movie, Shelley decides that he doesn't... He gets out of prison and starts making meth. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people from The Big Short pulled in on these casts. Oh, that's true. And I, uh, we, we had Christian mentioned Bell. that, and I think that, yeah... Those are, those are some great castings. Good yeah. work, audience. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, you checked the email and the Twitter. Was there was there anything on the MySpace? No, the MySpace was. Um, There's a lot of activity, but no one responding to the uh, <laughs> the call for recasting. Just flashing HTML tags. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of quizzes. I did a lot of quizzes this week. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> one of the quizzes was not which Glengarry Glen Ross character you are. Uh. Um, <laughs> 
Oh, that's a good question. If you had to pick, which one do you think uh, you are? Oh, let me go first. I'm, I'm going to be uh, Glenn Gary. Glenn uh, Gary. I call Glenn Ross. That's it. That's What's the character? The character that's not even in it. Grass. Grass. Yeah, that's me. It, or maybe not. We don't really know. That's, yeah, that's me. <laughs> so that's enough wrap up. What are we doing this week? Yeah. This week we're doing Hitchcock's North by Northwest. Definitely the oldest movie we've ever done. Came out in 1959. It's got Cary Grant, Eva Marie Saint, James Mason, as Martin Landau. Ernest Lehman wrote it, and uh, it is one of the movies that have been in cinema canon for you know since it came out. So this is gonna be a fun one to talk about. I think. When it came out, was it like the eighth movie ever? <laughs> yeah, there were only eight movies. Like, between... what, what does canon mean? Canon like uh, it's uh, something you fire the ball out of. Now it's got one end. Cannonball Run <laughs> like was the first movie. No, it's just it's been part of classic cinema since it came out. It's, it's been one of the movies that people kind of look at as epitomizing what cinema should be. Okay. Um, but yes, I mean, to answer your question, there have been eight movies between 1895 and 1959. <laughs> oh. Great Train Robbery 1, Great Train Robbery 2. Oh, crap sequel. North by Northwest. <laughs> Great Train Robbery, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> How they kept that train drifting <clears throat> without any tracks is pretty amazing. <laughs> That's, yeah, that was the magic of the movie. They had to... Yeah. <laughs> it's really a great suspension of disbelief. So we got a movie. Yeah. It's part of a canon. We got some beers to drink, too. I think it's near the fuse. Because this is we at do. the Brewies. This week we're doing a little bit differently, because it proved difficult to get beers to everybody anyway last week. So everyone picked out their own, except for Ben, who forgot. And because he is currently two blots away from me, he borrowed one from me. Um, oh, I didn't borrow it. I'm not. He has to I'm give it back. Returning. So everyone, so as, as oh, we you go want throughout, the five cents at the recycling plant. <laughs> as we go throughout the uh, discussion today, we'll uh, check in on everybody on their beers individually. So everybody, crack. I'll, crack I'll tell you here. this: if I had gotten a beer, I would have gotten the victory, live free or die. Twenty first Amendment. Twenty first Amendment. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Because of the I know, that was, yeah, war. yeah, that'd be a good choice. So. Got beer on my microphone. It's not even my microphone. Nice. Ooh, this is very delicious. Mm, this is very good. What um, do you guys have? I have the uh, Proclamation Ale Company's Mythomania. Oh, that sounds Double good. IPA. Double IPA. You want to you want to take take a guess at why I picked it out? I'll ben? take uh, a wild guess. Yeah. Um, it's got the word myth in the name. Nope. And this is sort of like a modern <laughs> no, you myth. Need to stop. Nope. That's it. Okay. So um, mania because it's mania. So who wrote? So is, wow, it's it crazy maniac. mania. So who wrote yeah. the Emancipation Proclamation? Ah, oh, some oh. deadly. Mm, Finally, yeah, I stumped okay. everybody. Makes sense. This is a big week. Mom, yeah, however, often Lincoln's we do face. These? Lincoln's face wrote it. Exactly. Do <laughs> <laughs> you think Lincoln actually wrote it, or do you think he had somebody write it for him? He wrote it. Isn't the story? He, uh, didn't he write it Mary on the train? Todd. He Mary kept Todd all the drafts in his hat. He, yeah, he rode it on the train, right on his way up to Gettysburg? To Mount Rushmore. His handwriting's not all scribbly. He didn't write it on the train. Not many people know they, that Mount the, Rushmore is a self-portrait. <laughs> Those trains back then were much slower. <laughs> much smoother. So anyway, the they Proclamation L Company's Mythomania is a double IPA. It comes in a pint bottle. It is a 9% beer, and uh, it's oh, very man. nice. It's very smooth. I have two of them, so we'll see how I feel at the end of this. You're and have a fun um, afternoon. Yeah, it should be good. We'll check you on, on Bowser and Rob later. 
Okay, yeah, so we're doing North by Northwest, which is a great Hitchcock classic, and I figure we have to cover Hitchcock at some point. So It's also one of Bowser's favorite Kardashians. <laughs> Do you think when North grows up, they're going to have a clothing line, and it's going to be called North by Northwest? Of course. It's got to be. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole reason why they named it. A little it surprised right? it doesn't we have a exist. factory in Cody, Wyoming full of slave labor. It'll be great. Actually, that's what the, yeah, this is It'll a, be a good thing to open the people. economy. You're going to have that up. cool Kanye tank full of shirts, just like t-shirt cannon and clothing at people. <laughs> <laughs> Might be going too far. Possibly. <clears throat> so, North by Northwest is a movie. A lot of people probably know at least something about this movie, or maybe only that it's Cary Grant and Hitchcock, but it's often referred to as sort of the first James Bond movie. So this came out before Dr. No. Dr. No, I think, was 1963 or 64. This was 59. And the reason why they say that is because it's sort of a movie that's sort of jumping from locale to locale. They're not quite as exotic as a James Bond movie, but you've got sort of femme fatale type character, but it's a little bit lighter than, say, a, a, a noir. It's a lot of snappy dialogue. The villain's a little mysterious and flamboyant in the sense that they have a lot of money and fancy houses and... Um, anyway, it's, it kind of built that blueprint for that type of movie. Yeah, and in fact, the uh, second James Bond movie from Russia with Love has a scene very similar to the crop duster scene in this movie. That's true. It was directly inspired by that. Um, when does something in a movie being ripped off, and when is it inspired? It's inspired if it's acknowledged. Okay. Like, if it's very clear that either they, like, say specifically, oh, yeah, we want to reference this scene... Or it's very clear that they are referencing it. A ripoff is more like, what's a good example? UHF. Oh, so The Lion King, people say it rips off the, the Japanese movie. Um, oh, yeah. What's it called? What is it inspired by Hamlet? Well, yeah, um, yes, it's exactly. It's called Simba. Isn't it called Simba? It's something like Simba. Kimba. Kimba, yes. Kimba, not Simba. Oh, clever. Clever So if that's, you know, if, if they, yeah. <laughs> That would be an example of ripoff, whereas the same movie was inspired by Hamlet. Gotcha. So another example of, of inspiration would be something like Tarantino, where he's like very clearly referencing specific scenes from other movies in all of his movies, sometimes recreating them, pulling a line of dialogue from other movies too, but he's, he does it in a way to help inform his current movie, as opposed to just stealing it because he simply likes it. Have you prepared a uh, summary of the movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, I love Ben's summaries. All right, so this is a quick recap. We have an opening sequence with the uh, credits rolling through, beautifully animated credits, I must say, with Bernard Herrmann's music in the background. And then we cut to a building facade into busy New York, and we've got our main character, Roger, and his secretary rushing out of Grand Central Station. Uh, We also happen to see Alfred Hitchcock miss his bus at this point, which is pretty interesting. Then he's dictating in the cab to his, uh, he being Roger, to his secretary, and he's clearly late. He's talking about a play he wants to see with his mother that evening, but he's got to go meet some guys at a restaurant. And he goes to that restaurant, and this is where the story really kicks off. We get someone being called Kaplan is being called he, he's just wanting to go to the server or the waiter to get a drink but uh, this is where the mistaken identity begins and uh, so he says he needs to go make a phone call at which point some thugs who have been watching him kidnap him and our story begins it's non-stop fast-paced action we are now brought to Long Island 
Roger is kidnapped by these people who think he is this man Kaplan who's working with this guy Townsend. And at this house, the guy claims to be Townsend. Roger has no idea what's going on, and he makes that very clear throughout. But then they still think he's this guy Kaplan, and they they get, you know, pretty adamant about it, so much as to uh, drown him in bourbon essentially, and force him to drive home. But, of course, he's able to drive because he's a fantastic drunk driver, as we all know Cary Grant to be. And uh, then he crashes his car. The police come out and find him, and they take him to jail. And then he is brought before a judge who's like, what the hell are you talking about? This sounds crazy. Who is this Townsend? Let's, you know what? Let's all go out to the house. So they get everyone together, including his mother, because, you know, she's important to the legal system. And they take them to the house, which is now completely changed. The guy who previously referred to himself as Townsend, who is played by James Mason, I believe. Um, He is no longer there, but there's a woman there who was there before, and now she is completely acting up. She's saying, yes, they were just at a party last night, and Roger, Cary Grant's character, just got really drunk and was very drunk. And that point is reinforced by... uh, Cary Grant's, or rather Roger's, mother's quick quips and uh, dismissals of his claiming that they were calling him Kaplan and things like that. No one really believes him. Anyway, as we leave the house, we see one thug who we've seen before is actually the gardener. And so we know something is amiss. Something weird is going on. Then we find ourselves back in the city. Roger learns that Townsend is at the U.N., So he goes to the UN, and we find the real Townsend. Not James Mason, but another man who seems to be truly Townsend. And then as quickly as we meet Townsend, we meet Townsend's end. That's right, he dies. He's stabbed in the back at the UN. Roger stabbed. He throws a knife. He throws a knife. And and Roger, as he as Townsend is falling over dead after being stabbed by a thrown knife, uh, grabs the knife out, and everyone looks at him and, and at the UN, and they think it's him that who stabbed him, and he runs out because there's no security at the UN, and it's fine, and he gets into a cab, and he's now in this whole mess of things, and the, and the story just keeps fucking firing off left and right, like a so cannon, he's like a cannon which this movie is a part of. Um, (laughs) Then uh, he needs to take a train to Chicago. Now, why does he need to take a train to Chicago? Pizza. Because Kaplan is supposed to be in Chicago. And he's trying to find Kaplan. He wants to get to the bottom of this story just as much as everyone else. We're now on the train, and he meets super hottie Eve who is, like, laying it on thick. And Roger is totally on board, quite literally, because they're on a train. But they have some super sexy scenes. They're hitting on each other and fooling around and, like, some shit's going down. But after after they eat, because they can't do it on an empty stomach. After they eat, because you can't do it on an empty stomach. The moment I meet an attractive woman, I have to start pretending I have no desire to make love to her. What makes you think you have to conceal it? She might find the idea objectionable. Then again, she might not. So he disguises himself as a porter so that they can escape, and uh, she helps him escape. So we like Eve. Eve seems great. And Eve even offers to help 
Roger, find out who this Kaplan guy is and do some of the organizing and the phone calls and arranging. So she arranges for Roger to now go from Chicago to Indiana, um, somewhere outside Indianapolis or something like that. Um, the prairie to bus meet. stop. The prairie bus stop. The only and prairie bus stop. So he's like, oh, this is great. I got Eve coordinating this for me. And we get the famous crop duster scene. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He sees some other guy, sees some cars, and then a plane starts going right for him. Awesome, great suspense, beautiful camera work, and he's running away. This plane's coming right at him, and he manages to trick it, to fool it, to manipulate the plane to go directly into a fuel truck. Now, I saw that as him doing it completely accidentally. He literally stands in the middle of the road trying to flag down this truck who's refusing to stop. And And then it almost runs over over him. And the truck does basically run over him because he's underneath the truck and the plane going after him crashes into the truck. But it doesn't seem like he's actually doing that intelligently or anything. Not not intentionally tricking it. Through through those course of events, the plane ends up flying directly into the fuel truck. Again, very exciting. And obviously Roger is quite um, disturbed by all of this. Uh, and returns back to... Is he going back to Chicago at this point, or is he still in Indianapolis? Yeah, he goes back, back to in Chicago. Chicago. So he goes back in to Chicago, goes to the... Right, he's just in Indiana for that stop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, goes to the hotel, and he sees Eve. And now he's a little suspicious of Eve, because why the hell did she organize this meeting and all this crazy stuff with the crop duster came up? So something's going on, uh, but she's not really showing her hand. And uh, while he's showering up, he is suspicious of Eve and kind of listening in as she's on a phone call. And He doesn't shower, though. He doesn't really he shower. He's sitting shower. by the door. Yeah, he's whistling, singing in the rain. He listens to her on the phone. She writes a note. He's able to decipher what she wrote on the note, which is an address, which leads them to an auction where we get back and we finally see Van Damme again, who was called Townsend earlier, played by James Mason. And we see him with... Eve, as well as Leonard, his henchman, and they're trying to win some art. Within the art is some Cold War microfilm from a Cold War-involved country, which is why they're essentially smuggling that information through this art, which is why they're at the auction trying to buy it. And then at this auction, we see the thugs reappearing, and Roger is put into a very precarious position. He's got to try and get out of here without dying. So what he does is he causes this hilarious ruckus by bidding on things with a less dollar value than what they had already been bid for. It's a great scene. Go watch it. It's fantastic. His goal is to try and get removed by the police so that the thugs can't do anything, which he does. This is where everything starts to unravel because when the police take him, they call it in and the FBI or whoever, the CIA, gets involved and we see this professor who we have seen before, who we know is involved in following this Kaplan and who actually created Kaplan as this fake person to allow them to get closer to Van Damme. And everything gets revealed here, and the the professor, the FBI, CIA guy, uh, sort of brings Roger into the situation, into the the know at the time. And we continue our way through the story to South Dakota. We have a scene at a hotel ski lodge restaurant thing that feels very odd, very weird compared to the rest of the story. Um, And it ends with... Roger getting shot by Eve. It's very alarming, 
because you're like, what? This is crazy. Of course, we learn later that this was all a ruse by all of them, including the FBI, CIA, to try and ensnare Van Damme. Now, this continues as we're in South Dakota to Mount Rushmore, where it's a famous scene. They're climbing through, trying to run away from the thugs, and we uh, eventually, some thugs fall down. Van Damme is caught by the police, and justice is served. Eve is hanging off the edge of Mount Rushmore, and Roger grabs Eve, and in a beautiful transition, we get pulled back into a train car where Eve and Roger are now living happily ever after as the train fucks the tunnel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all right, that's pretty good. It is kind of a... Plot's definitely a little denser than Glengarry, but takes less time to explain. More, <laughs> yeah. more things happen, yeah. But it's a lot of fun chasing. Um, yeah. The good guy gets the girl. But the fun part about that plot and the way it kind of moves and flows from thing to thing is that's kind of how the movie was constructed. Hitchcock, he came to the writer and he's like, okay, here's are the things I want to happen. I want some sort of mistaken identity and espionage. And then I want a scene on Mount Rushmore. I want him try to be killed by a plane, I think was another one. And then I want there to be a train. So, write a script. Well, <laughs> checked off everything on that list. He had some more scenes in mind. One was at uh, the Ford factory in Dearborn. Oh, yeah. And he wanted a whole scene with on the assembly line where they find Ooh. a body in the car after it's just yeah. being built. That was a really uh, cool, but, uh, they, cool idea. They couldn't work it into the script. He'd be at the Stopped factory. Stopped off at Michigan before he gets to Chicago. Yeah, or something. something, yeah. So the scene was like he would he was in the Ford plant. He was like talking to a guy on the line about the information, and hey, the whole yo. conversation would be like this: the the car getting built from start to finish, and as the car rolls off the line, they'd open the door and a dead body would fall out. <sighs> Did they build the body sweet. too? The concept of the scene was they would build the entire car from nothing yeah. to it being done. No, oh, I actually meant the corpse. Yeah, oh. that's a part well, of the assembly yeah. line. There's one guy who just detaches <laughs> shoulders. <laughs> just screwing bolts into people's yeah, nets. The, <laughs> the corpse machine. The corpse machine. <laughs> Henry Ford's greatest experiment. There were so many like classic scenes and like sets in this movie. They filmed it at Grand Central Station. They have it at the that hotel. What's the hotel in New York? Um, the Plaza. The W. The Plaza, yeah. Is Isn't it the Plaza? Plaza? Yeah. yeah, where the Oak Room uh, is, right? Where the Oak Room is, the UN they have UN, yeah. the scene outside yeah. the UN and then inside. So there's there's a couple of interesting things about that. So one, everyone thinks that they shot in the actual Oak Room, which they didn't. They had to build a set. The lobby wasn't big enough for the cameras and the space that they needed to block the scene. So they built a fake one. And then the UN, they weren't allowed to shoot inside, but they shot outside. They weren't really supposed to, so they just kind of put the cameras down across the street and shot it. And had <laughs> Cary Grant like run up the stairs. So if you're watching... Cary Grant's running up the stairs, and there's a guy coming down the other way, and he like does a double take because he realizes he just saw Cary Grant on the stairs. Because <laughs> they didn't close anything <laughs> oh, off. Wow, They're like real people that. just going up and down the stairs. Yeah. Wait, so how did they do that? There's one really cool shot when he's running out of the UN after Townsend gets stabbed. He's oh, that's out, and it's like right down the side of the building. Yeah, that's a they composition. They would have had to get in there. Um, no, that's a composition. So okay. the building, the driveway, the grass are a painting, and then they shot from up above on a sidewalk and then like shrunt that part of the shot down and fit it inside of a what's called a matte painting Ooh, it's part of yeah when we get to technicals we should uh discuss that i've noted quite a bit about the compositions that was pretty cool in this movie yeah Yeah. so yeah i think we could jump to our initial reactions 
this isn't the first time I watched it. I've seen it before, obviously, but it's always surprised me how funny it is. Cary Grant's hilarious throughout the entire movie. He's like really, his lines are all really snappy. No, no, mother, I have not been drinking. No, no, these two men, they poured a whole bottle of bourbon into me. No, they didn't give me a chaser. I laughed. <laughs> no, they didn't oh, give me a chaser. <laughs> That's <laughs> uh, so funny. But it also equally surprised me how overt it is about its sex. Yeah. And especially for the time. But even today, it's still like a little on the nose, which is. On Lincoln's nose. Oh, yeah. Get it. Not in his, link- in his nose. Did movies um, have ratings then? They had a different system. The MPAA, I don't think, existed yet. Oh. There was um, pretty but they, strong controversy going on. But... Yeah, the, the studio ended up censoring a bunch of stuff that was originally in it. Okay. Like nudity? Uh, language and they added so at the end he says come on up mrs thornhill yeah i forget what he'd originally said in the movie but the the studio made them add mrs thornhill so it was less <laughs> scandalous because now that they're now married right right the other thing they censored was oh when they're talking in the train when they're first meeting in the train or not when they're first meeting when they're sitting down to dinner and originally she said i don't make love on an empty stomach and they made her redub it and say i don't discuss love on an empty stomach it's a very different conversation. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, very. It's going to be a long night. True. And I don't particularly like the book I've started. Ah. You know what I mean? Oh, let me think. Like Ben mentioned earlier, it's, it's beautifully shot and perfectly composed. And it's just really, really fun. This is a fun movie. Yeah, um, right there with you. My notes were sexy, fun. Um, <laughs> I also said that it it's was like my fast Tuesday night. Paced. Yeah. I pictured Ben in like college, like writing down like biology class. Oh, sexy, fun. Sexy. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Redux reactions, man. That shit is very sexy. Fun, very fun. Um, it was fun. Uh, no, but I also wrote that it was fast-paced but takes time at certain moments, and we'll get into some more discussion on those. But mm-hmm. like you mentioned before, the movie just keeps moving. Like, all these new things happen all the time. But then he, like, he, meaning Hitchcock, sort of slows everything down, especially when he's waiting after he gets off the bus, looking around. You're waiting for something to happen, and then shit yeah. goes down. Um, there were a lot of moments like that, and that was uh, something that really stuck with me watching this again. I think my favorite quote is when he's at the auction yeah. trying to like cause a scene so the police will pull him out. Would somebody start the bidding at $750, please? Uh, how do we know it's not a fake? It looks like a fake. Well, one thing we know, you're no fake. You're a genuine idiot. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought his mother was uh, pretty funny, too. Oh, like, she's when, hysterical. Uh, yeah. Every line. <laughs> but they're only seven years apart in age. I was going to say the age did not quite <laughs> match up. He was way older than what the character was written for. He's supposed also. to be younger. Yeah, yeah. he's like 20 years older than what the character is supposed to be. <laughs> oh my god. I thought it was a great line when uh, he brought his mother to the uh, to the mansion with the detectives and then he's like, <laughs> oh, and, the, and there's a bar right behind here and then he opens it up and it's books and his mother's like, I heard liquor comes in bottles now. Or something. <laughs> no, she's like, I, I remember when it used to come in bottles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a great line. Yeah, I love, yeah, no, I love funny, her attitude like, towards her own her son. Attitude. That, that relationship between the two was very uh, affectatious. It was very good. Yeah, It's great plotting, too, right? Because it kind of like immediately 
establishes that she thinks he's a drunk. So you know that she's not going to believe him when he tells right. this story. And she's like, just pay the $2. Pay the $2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is apparently a reference, an homage to like a, an old vaudeville yeah. act or something that they it's had. It's a vaudeville skit, yeah. Where somebody gets arrested for like spitting on the subway and it's a $2 fine, but then he fights it or his lawyer fights it until like the sentence keeps getting raised. And the, and the guy's yeah. just like, just pay the two dollars. Just pay the two dollars. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I remember yeah. when they yeah. when she said that. I was like, "What? I don't. What is she talking about?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, she was she was great. She was hilarious, and she's um, she used to be a radio actress, and she definitely has that kind of. She carries herself that way, and it's I don't know. It works really well. She's like a, a radio great, actress. Yeah, like as how um, do you carry yourself like a radio actress? No, just the way she delivers the lines. Because you got to be quick, right? You can't have mm-hmm. the dead space. So she's like, she's on it, and uh, she's quick. She's sharp, and acidic with everything she says, and it's just like, it's such a great counter for him. Sort of a, a Lucille Bluth for a different time. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah. She just wants to get to her bridge game. Yeah. <laughs> you gentlemen aren't really trying to kill my son, are you? <laughs> 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 and the actress's name who plays his mother is uh jesse royce landis she's in uh to catch a thief it looks like she has some roles in some other tv shows and movies um frequently as mother character it seems to be mm. uh, she's in the man from uncle the tv series oh yeah uh, another spy <laughs> but yeah, no, she was. Yeah, she was. Yeah. But yeah. Did I mean, anyone else and, think that the security at the UN was really lax? <laughs> I mean, it was, was the it was pre nine eleven. It was the fifties. <laughs> it was pre nine eleven. That's true. The UN um, just started up. World War Two. I mean, when was and the UN? Was... The UN was pretty new at the time, right? When was it? For, it was yeah, the UN long... was founded after World War Two. Yeah, so it was less so than ten years old. Nineteen fifties. Nineteen fifty, I think. Nineteen fifty one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it was only eight years old. Um, They're still finding their feet. They didn't quite know how to watch it if a guy stabbed another guy in the back. They ran away. They didn't have metal detectors or anything. I'm sure they did not have that back then. When was the metal detector? To go back to what Rob was saying about the innuendo and everything, at the very end of the movie, the train going through oh, the tunnel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wrote that, I wrote One that of the greatest, greatest cuts of all time. Yeah. It's like right below the 2001 cut <laughs> to the spaceship. Right is train the going, final is, is shot the train. of North by Northwest. Yeah, because <laughs> they're gonna do it. Leonard's character. There was some discussion over what his right, what his sexuality was in, during the movie. Oh, um, really? He a, Martin Landau has insisted that, or has said that he played Leonard as gay and jealous <laughs> of even Marie Saint's character's relation to what's his James name, Van Dam, James Mason, James Mason, Van Dam. yeah. That's why he was so out to get her. And you could sort of see that during the movie. I mean, he didn't make it overt, and he said he couldn't make it overt because of the no. the production code and the and the, and the rules of yeah. the time. Probably still felt overt for when the movie came out. Yeah, um, yeah. Because what's the line he says um, when they're in the house? Oh, it says, call it my woman's intuition, which is... He does say that, yeah. Ooh. A little homophobic, <laughs> but for the time is like still kind yeah. of acknowledging his orientation. I don't know. Hmm. 
Yeah. You know, I didn't really pick up on that at all, and I'd have to rewatch it to. I picked up on that, that on the fact that he was sort of jealous of her, but sure. I didn't necessarily see it in necessarily a sexual way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he clearly yeah. was jealous of how close she was to Van Damme. Hey, she removed any doubts you may have had about her, uh, what did you call it, her devotion? And B, she gave herself a new and urgent reason to be taken over to the other side with you, just in case you decided to change your mind. You know what I think? Uh, <laughs> I think you're jealous. No, I mean it. I'm very touched. Was there any explanation as to why that decision was made, even for his acting? Like, uh, he, he decided that on his... Story? He decided that on his own because he does just the way he interpreted the the script, the way the script mm-hmm. was written, and he brought that up to Hitchcock, and the writer Layman was like, "Yeah, go for it. Like, that's a great idea." Mm-hmm. James Mason was not super crazy about it. Um, yeah, I bet <laughs> he doesn't seem like too woke. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's an interesting facet of the movie. It makes it adds this additional depth to both the story and, and the characters that wouldn't wouldn't normally be there, I think. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a quote by Martin Landau in explaining it. He says, um, James Mason, to the day he died, he became a friend of mine, but the most often question of James was whether Van Damme, the, his character, was bisexual. He said, no, he wasn't, but Landau made a choice and there's nothing I can do about it. And I caused uh, him grief because to the day he died, everybody kept saying that he was gay. James Mason? Yeah, I guess because so. his character was possibly bisexual. People but are I mean, crazy. this was the fifties. I mean, yeah. yeah. But the other thing that bothers me Only about for that is year. like, just because someone who is homosexual has an interest in another man doesn't make the man that he's interested in that doesn't make it his orientation also. Yeah, yeah, no, but it, it just... makes it juicier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, like you said, that's that's the 50s for you, I guess. And he said, uh, call it my woman's intuition was not in the script. That's uh, right. It was a line that he came up with. Yeah, so not quite ad-lib, but I think he suggested Yeah, and I said, Hitchcock loved what I did and left me alone. So that's how it came to be. Huh. All right, yeah. Ben, oh, there's the initial anyway. reactions on the Wikipedia so I, uh, page. I actually saw a scene of this movie a long time ago in college. How dare you? Yeah, in film films class. Oh, that's it. We, we got to stop the episode. We're done. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Move <laughs> on to the next one. <clears throat> so... That scene is great. It's the one what with scene? the airplane and well, the crowd. And the crowd, yeah, the famous one. Um, it's mostly about the sound. Yeah, it it's a just like lot that. of sound. <sighs> but I do kind of wish I had watched this movie. I always say that, and I still haven't watched Baby Driver, so I probably won't watch this movie either. <laughs> Was there anything about the Wikipedia page that made you want to watch it? It's more, very or? thorough. Mm-hmm. It does reference a lot of real places, which I like. <laughs> so that's why you don't like Star Wars. <laughs> that's why I don't like Lord of the Rings. Hey, that shit's real, man. Uh, it is real. Uh, it's um, Middle Earth. It's in the middle of the Earth, obviously. <laughs> um, I don't really have anything mind blowing to say about the Wikipedia page. I have been to, to Mount Rushmore, though. Oh, that's oh. good. You said it was thorough. What, what kind of stuff do they cover? Do they go over? I guess because you it's not been around. It. You don't watch the movie. I don't read the Wikipedia page. That's not how that works. <laughs> it's a good one. They got a a, a good concise plot summary like i think ben could probably read it in two minutes if you sped through it <laughs> um the cast is very uh complete but it's it's a hitchcock movie too so people have like done a lot of research on it there's a lot yeah, of stuff sure. about it like they have the coordinates for all the places where they filmed it seems your initial reaction is thorough good in fact kind of makes you want to watch the movie yeah i mean it's it's a, that's pretty it's good a cool that's pretty solid wikipedia page yeah, it's a good one yeah okay there we go yeah 
Shall we move on to our <clears throat> likes and dislikes? Yeah. Um, sure. I, don't, I had a hard time coming up with some dislikes, but I'm going to go through the likes. I mean, obviously, you know, Cary Grant is always super fun to watch on screen. Like, Ben, we, we went to see Charade. Um, Great movie. Was that last summer? That might have been 2018. Was that end of 2018? Or maybe. early 2019, maybe. Maybe. Oh, it was good. But, we saw it on the yeah. big screen at an old theater. Yeah, the silver screen? At the, at, at the Lowe's. The silver yeah. screen. The pictures. Um, which is actually funny. I kind of want to talk about that a little bit later. But um, yeah, Cary Grant's always super fun to watch. Being someone who, who studied film, it's always great to watch a Hitchcock movie because you know he does everything on purpose. There's nothing on accident. Picking it apart is super fun for me. I think Ben sort of started to talk about this, but I love the use of depth or, or lack of depth in certain shots to help sort of communicate what was going on. I really like how Roger Thornhill just keeps getting himself in deeper and in trouble because he's just too sarcastic. <laughs> he just he, he could have avoided he a lot of things if he didn't feel the need to call his mom during her bridge game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like it's you a little know, goofy. His, yeah, I don't know. I just way. I loved I loved how like it was his character and his characterization that like got him in trouble. It's just really good writing to me. And then the other thing, this is kind of small, but I just, I love how simple the mistake that the henchmen make with his identity that like oh, starts yeah. his whole thing off. Yeah. Because he calls for the waiter and they think that he's answering the waiter's telegram. The waiter comes in saying, Kaplan, Kaplan. And then he goes up to the waiter and calls to him. And Because he's just trying he's to order a drink. And that's it. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's it. <laughs> and then they like give him all the bourbon have him drive himself down the road but of course he's a drunk so like he's pretty good at driving drunk <laughs> and he's like fine they're the world's worst henchmen yeah <laughs> they're awful but then he's but yeah, like just... a little bit bumbling too pulling the knife out of that guy at the u.n yeah, it's like UN, why yeah. like, <laughs> i had to go for him with the knife yeah <laughs> oh i would say the whole time which is why i think yeah. It is a big difference between, so we called it the first Bond movie or whatever. But he's not Makes Bond. Makes it very different yeah, no, than, yeah. from Bond. The situations that he's getting in make it like a Bond movie, but he is absolutely not James Bond. Although he always no. is dressed perfectly in that suit. The in entire that suit. movie, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of dislikes, I guess, you know, and you have to take this all in context, but the, you know, there's there's some homophobia and sexism and that kind of stuff, and that's sort of tough to watch even if it is from 1959 like you just kind of have to take it in context i guess yeah um i'll start with my dislikes because i would continue with that that like the characterization of eve definitely is uh a little outdated mm -hmm. and probably all of the characters as far as um sexism and whatnot don't you think it's time we were introduced i'm eve kendall i'm 26 and unmarried now you know everything I definitely liked all the character actors. I might even consider Cary Grant a character actor in this, um, but I really liked uh, James Mason as mm -hmm. Van Damme. Mm -hmm. I thought he just did that really well. I also thought the thugs were hilarious, and I really liked that there's the one shot where the thug is the gardener, and um, <laughs> I like, like to imagine menacingly him trimming is the actually <laughs> like actually a pretty decent gardener. That <laughs> side gig is is being a thug, and like. So that was kind of fun. And again, we'll talk more about it in technicals, but Hitchcock and the, the composition of his shots, as well as how he does transitions with specificity and kind of what I imagine were pretty um, innovative techniques for their time. 
were super cool that I and I really liked. Another dislike I had was because the whole movie has a lot of witty, funny banter, um, mm. and I didn't think there was enough when they were on the president's faces. Um, <laughs> I think there was opportunity for Cary Grant to say something like, "Hey Eve, is there something on my face?" and then like scratch at something, and then cut to a wide shot that shows like them <laughs> on that part of George Washington's face. Um, so yeah, really had to reach for dislikes on this and, uh, all in all, just a really, really fun movie with some great acting, great story and good technical aspects. Real movies movie. Yeah. We were talking about the sexism and, uh, Eve, the character in the movie, except for the, his mother, the only woman, woman in the movie movies from like the fifties would have the woman like completely helpless. She's definitely not helpless. She's Very doing stuff. Point. She's actually she undercover for the CIA. She's trying to do her own thing, even though you think she's a double, you know, whatever she is, a spy, or mm-hmm. she's not just like a completely passive character. Yeah, that's really for the good time. Point. It might even be considered a bit progressive, on progressive compared to other movie on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> right on the nose. Yeah. Speaking of on the nose, um, one of the other scenes that they wanted to do, Hitchcock wanted to do, he wanted Cary Grant to be hiding in Lincoln's nose and have like a sneezing fit. Ah, see, there you go. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> they didn't actually film it at Mount Rushmore, though. But apparently, yeah, was question I was Alfred Hitchcock planted like 150 of those trees in California just for that on a set. That, yeah, <clears throat> the, the set for that yeah. Scene. It was the a pines. it was a hundred a hundred ponderous oh, pines. Okay. Yeah, the movie what is long? The movie's over two hours. But it doesn't really feel that long because there's always something happening and there's always like they're always moving, changing locations. I mean, they start in New York City. They, they're they on Long Island. They're back in New York. They're going to Chicago. They're going to Indiana and then they're South Dakota. They're, it's all over the place, really. So I it think uh, yeah. it's pretty fast paced. Yeah, no, I have, a, I have a lot to talk about um, movement and motion later when we get to thematics. So that, that's an interesting mm-hmm. point. So and then to answer wanted... Ben's question about the legal, the speedy oh, trial. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was still drunk, wasn't he? I mean, I think they let him sleep least. it off. They let him They let him sleep the night in there. And that's mm-hmm. pretty usual, though, especially in, like, a, a small town. I, it said the Glen Cove, you know, a small town at the right. time. It's an arraignment. So the next day, they, they bring him before the judge, and they say, these are the charges. And then they let him go, and then they set a trial date. So that's basically what they're doing. Gotcha. But would they then all, like the whole group, go out to the house because of this claim? No, I think I, I don't think they'd bring the uh, the victim or the uh, you know whatever he was in front yeah. of the house. But uh, they'd probably investigate separately, theoretically. Yeah, I. I but to your point a... earlier, he also probably didn't shower, but was still in that suit and looked yeah. pretty good. Looked pretty yeah. good. Just as an aside, I just I love how Glen Cove looks an awful lot like Southern California. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently they did film on Long Island for the mansion. The mansion is an actual sense. mansion on Long Island, but that the driving sense. scenes are all in California. Yeah. The cliff. There's no cliffs like that on Long Island. No. Those are all... <laughs> yeah. Do we want to do a, a beer check for Bowser and I? We should oh, yeah. do a beer check. Oh, absolutely. Uh, first off, Ben, what do you think of the beer now that it's had some time to age? I, <laughs> yeah, I aired it out. Um, it's been simmering. <laughs> it is very good. It's a definitely a strong flavor, being a double IPA. But as you mentioned, quite smooth. Yeah. I could see myself having a second one right after. It's not too much yeah. flavor. Yeah, it's real. It's um, a nice juicy IPA. Very yeah, cloudy. But 
I would say if you don't like IPAs, oh no, no. it's very clear. much like a New England IPA. Yeah, but a very good version of that. Good, and um, the, the can design, kind of cold on at the beginning, but it's grown on me. Yeah, what does it look I like? like? It. I had some time to age. It's um, it's sort of a turquoise color, and then in red is the name of the beer, Mythomania, and then kind of makes you think about copied. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, it does have a little Tron bit of a Tron or feel. Like the fifties, or like a Chevy Bel Air in Tron. Yeah, that's a perfect description. You cram all Chevy that Chevy Bel Air in in Tron. Yeah, okay. yeah. So Rob, what are you uh, what are you what are you drinking over there? It's sort of one of our staples. Who's um, us? Us as in the four of us. We, uh, we drink a lot of these um, staples. But I what is it? it? Uh, He's well, telling us. I'm, I'm <laughs> wait, there. wait, 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 wait. Can we guess though? Sure. He said staples. Is it? Office supplies. No, no, no. <laughs> what beer do you think it is? It it's could Yingling. Be... It's Yingling. Is it Yingling? No, it is not Yingling. All right, it's not Yingling. Ah, it. Why would it be Yingling? It's a staple. It's a, it is a staple. It is yeah. one of the staples. Um, it's probably not Shinerbach. No. Okay, mm. good. All day good. IPA? Yeah. Oh, is there a connection? You got it. It's the all day I got IPA. It. Uh, That's what I thought yeah. first. Yeah. yeah. It's the Founders all day IPA. I picked it because Founders, and uh, they're the some of the founding fathers, fathers on Mount Rushmore. So, yeah, if you haven't had an all-day IPA, it's a pretty mild IPA, pretty easy to drink, very enjoyable for a Sunday afternoon, and I'm... Uh, while reviewing movies. While reviewing movies. So it's it's uh, nice and mild. Nice. I'm drinking uh, The Perfect Disguise, <laughs> which is a dogfish head. Ooh, The Perfect Disguise, one you didn't know you had. Exactly. <laughs> There's no disguising, necessarily, but there is, like, the mistaken identity... He doesn't really try to disguise himself that much, though. Well, with the sunglasses. He even shaves. Yeah, with the sunglasses. <laughs> Until he breaks <laughs> the them. The worst disguise ever. Everyone Which everybody like, why are you wearing sunglasses, like, why are you wearing sunglasses <laughs> Well, he did disguise himself as the... Um, oh, the porter. The bell, or the porter. The yeah. Oh, the porter. He did. You're right. He did yeah. disguise himself as a porter. So, yeah, I picked it because of that. And it's a you know, spy movie disguising. It's a, it's a double IPA. But it's brewed with German Kohlschiest and German malts and hops. So it's a Kolsch disguised as an IPA, basically. Or no, an IPA disguised as a Kolsch. Okay. Uh, it tastes a lot like an IPA, honestly. So I don't know where the German part comes in. So is it but good or interesting? It's good. It's 8%. It's, a, so it's, it's like a, a good fruity. Disguise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, huh. it's a good disguise. So you, you, know, if you pour it into German. a glass, it looks more like a Kolsch. But then when you drink it, it tastes like an IPA. Oh, see, so maybe they're like disguising mm. the Kolsch ingredients. That's with the yeah, hops. Yeah. It's part of Dogfish Head's. Um, it's like something like the Off Centered series or something like that. It's not a usual like one of their standard ones, basically. Okay. Mm. Going back to uh, the mention of the disguising as the porter, you know when you see the porter and he's in his underwear, but yeah. then the cops run off and he's like counting money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He bribed him. He didn't because he, he bribed didn't him, right? Him yeah, but I like yeah. to think that he tipped him because I don't know if you noticed, but <laughs> Cary Grant is tipping everyone throughout oh, yeah. this movie. Like he tips the dry cleaner guy for a suit that's not his. Um, yeah, well, it's I that. I don't think it's... he tips the the maid or the um, room service woman. He he was tipping someone else too. I think early on, probably on the train. I think uh, yeah. in the bar in the bar car. But I, that's like just kind of the world he comes from, right? Like people do all these shit for you, and you just throw tips at them. How do you guys feel about tipping? Right. <laughs> I, feel um, I will say, yeah. Uh, like, since going to countries where they don't have tipping, I do like that 
more. Like I, but I, I'm I like also the, aware of how much people get paid and rely on tips, so I don't mind paying tips. But um, like I think it's I, really stupid. But I like the act of tipping. What do you like? Like about I it? like the way it makes me feel. Right. Yeah, but yeah, I think yeah. it's a bad. It makes culture. you feel good that you have some extra money and you get yeah, to kind I, of. Oh, you know, yeah. Thank slightly you for judge this person. Thanks but you don't the, tip your Uber driver or Lyft driver. Uber Uber said they take care of that. That's on Uber, <laughs> not on me. No, but they took care of it by putting the feature to allow no. people to tip, which no. is why everybody tips them. I mean, I tip. Incorrect. Did, but... Okay. Well. Well, you shouldn't. Do you tip a when... cab driver? <laughs> you're 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 part of the problem. <laughs> what? Do I tip a cab driver? I haven't taken a cab since 2011. When you did, did you tip a cab driver? A dollar. Okay. Ooh, yeah, I think tip. I did. Well, when I, yeah. I was also way poorer, and cabs were way more money. <laughs> That's true. Anyways. They were, and they took a lot longer to get to you. I don't like tipping culture. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm there with you. But we don't need to get into a discussion about no, it. No, no, no. The now. service industry not. is underpaid. No, absolutely. <laughs> Train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. that doesn't so, apply to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, we uh, wrapped up our that. beers here. Good job, everybody. Mm-hmm. What do we got next here? Diving into some technicals. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Talking about mm-hmm. how the movie's put together. We've sort of brushed on depth and composition a lot already, so I guess we'll sort of start with that. I loved how if you look at the opening scenes, Everything feels really claustrophobic, and it's just really flat, and everything's just right there, right on top of him. And then once you go through his whole adventure till he gets to the bus stop, the prairie stop, and he's out in the middle of nowhere, and then it's just everything behind him, and it's just him by himself. And it's this empty road, empty fields, goes from him being supported by this society to being totally empty and alone. And Hitchcock smartly sort of plays with that throughout the movie, underscoring what he's going through and what he's feeling and where he is as a character. And he does that really, really well. Cause like I said, nothing he does is, is by accident. Every part of that frame is thought out. Right. Um, well, just to, just to add to that, because I had noted the transition from the opening credits, which take place on sort of an angled flat, what looks like a grid sort of on an isometric mm-hmm. view that mm-hmm. then transitions into being a building that, somewhat relates to what you're talking about, how it starts off kind of flat, and then the end of the movie is Mount Rushmore and a little bit more rounded and um, mm-hmm. as far as imagery. There's not a ton of moving shots, except when it's really important. In the beginning, again, like he's coming out of the elevator and the camera just kind of moves with him as he walks. And then there's the camera kind of moves while they're leaving the train. And the camera kind of walks with him while they walk down the platform because that's the part of the movie where he's like, he's on the run, but he like thinks he's doing really well at being on the run, or at least well enough. You know, he he has an ally, and he finally got to Chicago. He's going to find out what's going on. So things are sort of working in his favor, moving with him, so to speak. And then as soon as things aren't, the camera stops moving and it stays still, which I thought was really interesting to what's going on. Because I mean, the whole that's what the whole movie is, right? It, it's kind of a it's like a train that just carries you along through what's going on. And Cary Grant does a lot of things to get himself into trouble, but otherwise all this big, he's just got caught in this big machine. That's kind of like pushing him forward. And it kind of, again, underscores that. Um, some other technicals that I really liked, and I mentioned it before that aerial shot from the UN, I didn't know that was a composition shot, but I imagine that's also what was going on in the Mount Rushmore scene, which was really cool. And I thought really well done. There's also another shot when Eve has 
sort of said she'll make a call for Roger. And you start to sort of question her motives a little bit. And then you see that she's yeah. talking to Leonard. Um, she and Leonard leave the several phone booths. And she stays at the phone booth while he goes way back into the background and talks to someone. But you can see both. I don't know how camera-wise lens, how you cut that and how that works. But both were in perfect mm-hmm. focus. And it was a really yeah. interesting back and forth on either sides of the frame. Um, yeah, I great use that of was deep very focus. cool. Yeah. yeah. And then we touched on it a little bit earlier, but the transition, there are several transitions throughout the movie, but one that was really cool is the end when she's hanging off of Mount Rushmore and he pulls her up and pulls her up into the train bed. They cut to the train going in the tunnel. Yeah. And it's, it's almost abrupt. Like it, it yeah. throws you off at first. And then he calls her Mrs. Thornhill and you're like, wait a minute, did they like a lot of time passed and now they're married, but back on a train or are they just coming back now? And he's like being a smart ass and calling her misses. And then they go on the train and you're like, ah, oh, they're just, they're just screwing around. But uh, the transition was really cool. And, and I thought yeah. uh, an interesting placement for it right there at the end. We can't talk about this movie without talking about the crop dusting scene. Oh yeah. Other than Matt Absolutely. Rushmore is number one, the most famous scene from this movie. It's a masterclass in building tension. Yeah, right? He's just standing there in the car with the left, car to the right. And then a car comes. to the left. <laughs> car comes. And you don't just, know what's going like, to happen. Yeah. yeah and that and one the car guy comes, comes from out. across. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, they slowly dude. introduce, like, the plane, mm-hmm. right? He starts yeah. to see the plane as it's far away. And then it's like, oh, it's just part of the atmosphere. Well, the guy comments on it. He's like, that crop right. is fine kind of low. Or, well, oh, no, that crop is dusting where there ain't no crops. So there's it right before he gets on the bus. Yeah, and then so you're like, like, and then you're thinking as the audience. I feel like I was thinking, like, get on that bus, like, get on the right. bus, go back to Chicago. <laughs> yeah. But what's you so great about that? Is going on. He sees the plane first by himself, and then right. as an audience, you're like, oh, this is it's part of the natural scene. And then it comes again, and the guy from across the street is like, you know, you can make a lot of money crop dusting. This is kind of a random comment about it. And he adds at the end, if you live long enough. Which at the time sounds like, oh, this is like kind of country guys, just, just right. the way he talks, right? They, yeah. As long as you live long enough, you know, you, no. whatever. No. But no. So it's, it slowly is building that up, and then it escalates. You have all these other things working together until it gets really tense and explodes with, with the crop duster coming after him. And actually, if we talk, want to talk about um, composited shots, so to shoot the shot where he's actually being chased by the plane, they shot an actual plane and then projected it and had Cary Grant run in front of the projection, which you can kind of tell because the movement isn't quite in sync. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when the plane crashes into the oil truck, those were models. Whoa. But they shot an actual plane for the perspective of it coming after him, which was kind of cool. Wow, because that gets pretty close. So that, that was actually one time when he jumps behind the rocks when it does yeah. its first or second pass. That was yeah. the only time where I really noticed the composition. So it's interesting to know that that's actually a projection. And that's probably what I was seeing then. But does yeah. that mean when they were filming that, they, they did have a plane fly that close to the camera? Yeah. Wow. 
So the other thing, actually, I forgot to mention when we were talking about depth and focus, they shot this on VistaVision, which was probably the best choice they could have made for a movie that goes from location to location. So there's a couple different ways to increase the resolution of film. One of them is anamorphic, where you basically use optics glass to squeeze the image onto a smaller piece of film, and then we project it, it expands back out, and um, it looks bigger than it is. And that's pretty common and was common at the time. And that's like when you see like the ultra widescreen, that's anamorphic. Uh, and you have like the, the lens flares that are like the really long streaks across the frame, like J.J. Abrams, that's anamorphic. Mm-hmm. The other way is to shoot something like large format, like IMAX or uh, 65 millimeter, which is just bigger film. So therefore it captures more information, right? Gotcha. Uh, but what VistaVision does is it takes regular 35 millimeter film, but turns it sideways. So normally when 35 millimeter film goes through the camera, it goes up and down and the frames Mm -hmm. uh, are up and down. But VistaVision takes the same film and turns it the other way so they can make the frame a little bit wider and use more of the film on the strip. So basically what that does is it increases the detail that can be captured. Like the crop dusting scene, for example, you can see way down in the fields and way down the road. And that's because of the film format that they used. Wow. That's really So they had like funny cameras. Yeah, so they look kind of <laughs> cool. They're like they're big and boxy because the film has to run sideways through it. Hmm. Neat. That's yeah. super interesting. Oh, they have like a weird periscope on the camera. Yeah, they're kind of cool. It's like a vacuum. So you said anamorphic is is obviously still used, but is this VistaVision? Are they still a company uh, or uh, producing VistaVision, cameras? Um, or was lenses? developed or is sponsored by Paramount, and Panavision built it, built the systems. It as a film format has been gone for a long time, but it's coming back as a digital format. So the large format digital cinema cameras now, which is the Red... Um, actually, it was originally called Red VistaVision, but they've upgraded it now. It's called the Red Monstro, the Panavision DXL. Um, their sensor size is based on the size of the VistaVision frame. So it has the same sort of effect, except it's a it's digital photo sites instead of the silver. Oh, I thought you were going to say when they save the digital files, they have to turn the thumbnail... So that it's on its side. Well, actually, I mean, if you're doing anamorphic digitally, you do have to do the squeeze, the same optical squeeze we were talking about. But VistaVision can just be its so VistaVision. If you have a VistaVision projector, like in a movie house, did you have to have a sideways projector? Yeah, you could project it that way. But a lot of times for most distribution, they would reprint it onto regular 35. But... The information that they captured was that much greater. Yeah, was there? Yeah, it's it's essentially it's an analog version of downsampling. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So the the guy that shot it, Robert Burks, did a lot of work with Hitchcock. Burks was particularly very thorough about his storyboards, and that sort of helped put all this stuff together. And he won Academy Award for one of his movies with Hitchcock, uh, but I forget which one it is off the top of my head. Did, um, did he work on, like, the real famous Hitchcocks? So Vertigo and Psycho and... Yeah, I think so. Because Psycho was literally a year after this, and Vertigo was the year before this. Right. Oh, whoa, Psycho was after this? Hmm. One, yeah, Psycho was 1960. Interesting, okay. How's everyone's beer doing? I'm done with mine. I, I should get it. Pretty good. Uh, I don't know if I want another one, though, at this point. Yeah, it is Yeah, one thirty. one thirty in the afternoon. <laughs> we want to move into some thematic stuff because i think we're sort of starting to talk about it already yeah yeah Mm -hmm. what we were saying about how the 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 framing and the depth kind of works to tell the story 
he's feeling kind of lost and kind of pulled along in this. And I, it, it definitely kind of, to me, at least seemed like a mirror of like the start of globalization. How in the beginning, when he walks out of the elevator, there's all those people pushing and he's mm-hmm. just moving with them in a big wave. It's kind of like at that time, right? That was 1959, right? So that's, that's kind of a new thing for mm-hmm. New York and the U.S. to have that kind of busy, moving economy. Not that it wasn't the U.S. didn't have a big economy before that, but I mean like with that much motion and that mm-hmm. much movement and that fast. And that, that's part of you know coming off of World War II and increasing industrialization of the world and then communication throughout the world and how that all connects. And like obviously that leads into the espionage part of it. But I think there's something to, say, to be said about the way the movie moves. He starts in New York where everything's moving. He's constantly moving. He's like that first scene, he's just running the entire time. Oh, I'm going to be late for the drinks with the guys. And I got to meet my mom for dinner for the show. And then he like, when he gets kidnapped, his, his first concern is like, oh, I have a show. I have tickets for a show to go to that I have to be there. My, my mom's going to be mad if I'm not there. Right. <laughs> he's like, he's sticking to his schedule. And he's talking to his secretary about like, all, this, all this stuff. And it's, uh, I love how like, that whole scene sort of eventually hints at like, then he's forced to be on the move for the rest of the movie. Cause he's running and trying to get ahead of these guys. And he doesn't want to be, he just wants to stand still when really in his life where he's quote standing still, he's constantly running around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought that sort of lent itself to that sort of new at the time, modern economy that's less manufacturing and more abstract, I guess. Cause he's, he's, you know, works for an ad firm so that he has less of a product than say like building a Ford car. That was a lot yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah. but, Tuned out. But it's Three super times. interesting uh, take. I mean, much more nuanced than my note here. I thought the theme of the movie was be cool because you'll get the girl and save the day, even if you're not really supposed to. Um, <laughs> so to your point, yeah, he, everything feels like these are situations that he's not really in control, but he maintains mm-hmm. his cool throughout. Uh, he's always making witty comments, even when they're trying to essentially murder him with alcohol or or murder him outright in other ways. He seems to be completely out of control, yet he keeps cool the whole time. Yeah. And I think that's what gives this movie a lot of staying power and what I'm sure made it a very popular movie for its time, because who doesn't want to be cool? And Ava Marie Saint was gorgeous, so... <laughs> and I, you know, I think there's something to be said too about looking at the world at the time and then reacting with apathy. Which, for all his like snappiness, I think it's stemmed from apathy. This is such high stakes, and like he just makes a quip. Yeah, I mean, he cares, but it doesn't feel like a deep care. He just kind of wants to like whatever. I just want to be done. The only thing he kind of he really cares about is Eve. In is the end, right? right? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, when yeah. he like makes the escape and goes after her and yeah and he feels house. bad about what he, what he said to her once yeah. he find out who she is yeah yeah because he was a little little bit petty but then again he didn't really know the full yeah because he was really angry was right he on. was angry yeah, yeah. he was legitimately was. angry and from his perspective that made a lot of sense yeah i didn't really think about it the fact that the un was so new when they shot it there because it just seems like such a global staple right mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense right because it's sort of you're starting with like this whole new idea of this black bag secret international espionage, which wasn't really a thing before that, you know, it sort of started with world war two and then kind of got rolling with this time. And I think that kind of 
complements the the sense of you know like I was talking about the like, industry and the globalization. This is kind of the other side of that, right? The other side of that coin. The the Cold War was really getting started, and actually they they make a mention of the Cold War, right? The professor, right, who's the CIA guy, he says something about the Cold War, and Cary Grant has a pretty good quip back to him, and I can't remember what it is. Well, when there's a scene with the CIA people, and they find out that Cary Grant had been mistaken for Kaplan, and then you find Mm -hmm. out that Kaplan isn't real, they're deciding deciding what to do, and they're just like, no, we shouldn't do anything. Yeah, Yeah, kind of like, like, this will help us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, There are other things that are more important saving this guy is not on the top of yeah. the list because we're fighting a cold war or whatever they say yeah, about that yeah it's interesting because it's right when like government started getting a little bigger and a little deeper than people yeah. were used to um and that was you know that was scary at the time but that scary scene now. actually let's let's be, it's scary. let's be totally forward here <laughs> i think it's scarier yeah. now and uh just to finish what rob was saying thornhill Cary grant says i don't like the games you play professor and the professor says well war is hell mr thornhill even if it's a cold one uh, uh, Cary Grant comes back and saying, "If you fellas can't lick the Van Dams of this world without asking girls like her to bed down with them and fly away with them, perhaps you ought to start learning how to lose a few Cold Wars." Yeah, that's, what, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> huh? And you were asking when the term Cold War came. I think it was in uh, like immediately after World War II, 1947. They started using that term, Truman. Yeah. Huh. Whoa. So what? guess who what? coined the term Cold War? Um, can I get a first letter of the uh, first name? G. Contact. Gerald Ford. <laughs> no. What? George Orwell. Yeah, you looked it up. Well, I, I looked it up because you, they, you asked me when the term Cold War started, so I looked up when it started. Well, then you're not guessing. You're just telling but us. It's, but it's not I said the guess. George Orwell. It's a different George Orwell. <laughs> Orwell. <laughs> no relation. Forget it. Go oh. ahead. Um, no, but I love how you thought that somebody scene... was going to get it. Yeah, I thought someone might guess it. <laughs> Not just tell me. Well, before Rob could even guess, I said contact. We were supposed to count. Yeah. I should have said George Foreman. Uh, <laughs> wait, which George Foreman? The one with the grill. No, didn't he name his kids George Foreman? Yeah, they're all George. All of his kids. Nine kids named George or something. And one of them coined the phrase "Cold War." <laughs> <laughs> one of them. This is the but which one? one? We'll never know. Do they all go by George Foreman? Yes, no full name, George Foreman, even to each other. It's weird. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Um, I am but yeah, anyway, so that one of the things I love about that scene is how it reveals, like, it's just, like, people talking in a room. You know they're talking about him. You know they're talking about Kaplan. They know they're talking about Van Damme. But you don't know who they are. The camera cuts around the room, and then you, like, you eventually see the American flag. Okay, so it's the government, kind of, maybe. And then it cuts to the professor standing at the window, and it's a shot of the Capitol building. Yep. Right? So, like, yep. okay, they're in D.C. They work for the government. In a movie today, it would just be like a helicopter shot of the mall and then text saying, Washington, D.C. But in Hitchcock, he just like slowly reveals it through the scene, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. Right. yeah. And the guy's just called the professor. You know, he doesn't have. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very mysterious. He's the professor from Gilligan's Island. Good call. Man. <laughs> <laughs> he escaped the island reality. and founded the yeah. NSA. It's the original plot line of Lost, actually. <laughs> but yeah in terms of thematics the only other thing um i wanted to talk about you know i talked a little bit about the apathy and the the apathy kind of leads to thornhill's sense of amoralism a little bit unless like we said it comes to things that are close eve. to him yeah and, which is eve and his mother yeah <laughs> and his <brother. laughs> um <laughs> but like you know like he has no problem 
pretending to be Kaplan to get information or even as simple as like cutting those people in line to get the taxi. And he says, oh, you know, my, this woman's very sick when he's talking about his secretary and he just wants to get in the cab to get moving. And that amoralism initially gets him in trouble. And then as he gets closer to Eve, he kind of backs off him a, a little bit and lets himself care about her as a person. Goodbye, darling. Wait a minute, not so soon. I've got to get back to the house and convince them that I took the long way around so nobody followed me. Couldn't we stand like this for just a few hours? Just as time, you're supposed to be critically wounded. I never felt more alive. Well, whose side are you on? Yours always, darling. Please don't undermine my resolve just when I need it most. To help underscore that, I mean, like I said, Hitchcock is does everything on purpose and sometimes he does stuff that's so on the nose it's hilarious so his name is roger thornhill he lights i think they're when they're, they're in the train at dinner and he lights a cigarette for eve and he brings out his matchbook and it has his initials on it his full name is roger o thornhill so his initials are rot which literally spells rot right <laughs> so it's <laughs> he is um, literally a rot she asks him when he brings out that matchbook what does the O stand for? And he, his response right. is nothing. nothing. He just likes, yeah. he likes that it's in rot. Yeah. Apathy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Hitchcock notably said, we specifically made this movie to not have any heavy themes. Whatever themes people see is, is what they take away from it. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean it's not valid. Um, and I think that those, those feelings are definitely there, or at least reflective of what people were feeling at the time. Anyway. Agreed. Uh, uh, what, what, what's do, the next topic? Um, it's legacy, but I was going to say if we want to do a one last beer check. Has everyone finished their beers? I did finish. Uh, yeah, I finished my beer. What's uh, moved on to a second beer? Cool. Could we give? Uh, it's it's our, a staple. Oh, it's Yingling? Uh, Yingling. Yingling. PBR. Uh, Shinerbach Yingling. It, it is a Yingling. But in a can. Because Yingling is. Well, is it north? It's the eagle of beers. It's definitely west of us. I don't know if it's north of us. It's south. I heard of this movie. So this, he flies on Northwest Airlines during this movie. Yeah, 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 I saw that. I that up. Which doesn't so exist he, anymore. No. no. So he, <laughs> goes he goes north, north. by Northwest. Uh, <laughs> which doesn't. Like, north by Northwest is not a thing. He travels yes, north by I mean, Northwest direction. Airlines. Why isn't it a thing? Right? You wouldn't have a north by Northwest. You'd have a... A west by north, right? Isn't that how you don't you just no 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 west and the east? Halfway between halfway between northwest and north is north by northwest. Yeah. Okay. Which is also the general direction he travels throughout the entire movie from New York to South Dakota. Seems right. The working title was in a northwesterly direction. Yeah. (laughs) It's a way worse name. (laughs) That's fantastic. And that's the way he travels too. But then yeah. somebody said, isn't North by Northwest a little bit more succinct and better? And then he went with that. So when I had seen this movie originally years ago, the title is interesting to think about. I, I love that there's this in a northwesterly direction is their <laughs> working title. It's hilarious. But I did. Uh, I was struck by the similarity to a Hamlet, a line from Hamlet. Um, Hamlet says he is North by Northwest. He's talking about him being the wind and. He's tr- he's essentially trying to lead someone to think that he's he's gone crazy and he's having fun with that. So I thought it was an allusion to that, but honestly, after watching the movie, I can't imagine how that fits in at all. Doesn't. Yeah. No, I think because I think it is no just... themes of like 
Yeah, yeah that would tie in in any way. No, I think it is just as Sorry. simple as the fact that it's better than in a northwesterly direction. So they yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> which I would agree with completely. Yeah. The Man in Lincoln's Nose, which was a title that had been suggested, was almost a joke by... It was. By Alfred Hitchcock, right? Yeah, he did it out of yeah. spite because um, the park rangers at Mount Rushmore didn't let them film exactly where they wanted to film. And because of the scene where he he initially... Because I think the scene was still in the script at the time, where Cary Grant's hiding in Lincoln's nose and has a sneezing fit while he's hiding in Lincoln's nose. It's hilarious. It's really too bad that that didn't make it <laughs> into the movie. So that being said, what what parts of that scene? So none of that was shot at Mount Rushmore. You mentioned they planted all those trees. That was no the when when Eve and Roger are talking in the woods. That's a set in California. To be fair, they they shot the 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 background plates for the compositions at Mount Rushmore, and that's what he was hanging off to shoot, which they they um, composited back with a soundstage recreation of the actual monument. But they did shoot at the visitor center. That's the actual visitor center. And I think the story goes that they started shooting there and they wanted to shoot on the monument and they wouldn't let them. And then that's when they started to spite the park rangers. Uh, you know, there was one shot that really stuck with me when they're, they're climbing to the side and they see one of the thugs or someone chasing them and they show him in like a cave. I don't think that cave really exists. That was another one where I was like, this shot looks very artificially composed. Lincoln is on the far right. Lincoln. Lincoln. So yeah, if you're looking at it, hmm. um, I also like how he's in Lincoln's he's... left shoulder. Yeah, Some I like, like how when Mount Rushmore cave that I don't think. It is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I like when he's looking at the uh, when they're waiting at the visitor center, and he's like he's got the telescope or whatever. He's looking at the monument, and he's like, I don't like the way Teddy Roosevelt's looking at me. Yeah, and then he ends up <laughs> climbing down it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. All of these things, like with the Mount Rushmore and the crop duster and, and Cary Grant's suit, which I, we haven't talked about Cary Grant's suit, but it's it's considered one of the greatest suits of all of cinema. Um, wow. But anyway, of all eight films? All, yes, of all eight films of cinema. Those are all the yeah. movies. <laughs> Space <laughs> Jam, North by Northwest, <laughs> Baby Driver. <laughs> so all if, the you had to, if you had to recast half North of by Tiger Northwest King. using the characters from Space Jam. <laughs> Mudsy Buds. All of them. Every woman has Mudsy Buds. The fact that he is like this cool, collected person the whole time, even though he's going through all this, makes it... That, that I think that connects it to James Bond more than the professional yeah. spy aspect, obviously. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree. Spy. Sort of the attitude. Yeah. The attitude, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's got all these things. You know, like we said, it sort of helped build the blueprint for James Bond movies. But it, it it's like one of those movies that's like a seminal moment where this movie sits in cinema history. And the, the legacy of it is is that they made it as a really fun movie, but it ended up being so determinate for how movies were made after or how movies looked or what movies were about afterward. You know, it really brought fashion forward and like Ben was saying like, you know, the cool protagonist, he was sort of the blueprint for that and the evolution of the femme fatale and the the type of villain. This movie it's number 55 on the AFI list of 100 greatest movies of all time. What is the AFI list? The AFI is the American Film Institute. So it's Institute. not like the band AFI's oh. favorite 100 movies. 
you, no, it's on that, that list. On that list is number three. Oh, okay. It's just of all the gray. <laughs> okay. How did it yeah. get number 50 if there are only eight movies? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> AFI a lot of Citizen other films. Citizen Kane is, is, all, is all the first 40. Yeah, Citizen Davey Kane Havid, is one through 42. <laughs> Davey Havoc is really into a lot more. A lot of cartoons um, as movies. Do you think yeah. they could remake North by Northwest now? No. Why would they? Because it's a beloved movie. Yeah, you have you have way more ways to keep track of people. Like the Born Identity is a new Didn't, North isn't, by Northwest. Isn't the Tourist starring Johnny Depp basically a modern remake? I haven't seen it. Mm. You're, thinking, you're thinking of the Born Identity. No, Born Identity is <laughs> totally different. Yeah, because he, again, he Born Jason Born is an agent with the government. What makes he just doesn't remember that, yes. is. Is uh, Roger is know. totally he's just a, buff, a little bit of a buffoon at the beginning and it's like crazy instance happens. Has anyone seen the Bean movie? Yes, where he steals or he Whistler's ruins what was that's way more. My favorite scene from that movie is when he's got it under the blanket. Yeah, and he's it, pretending it's a food cart and he's making the noises, and then he flips it to the side while he passes that person, and they turn around and look at him. Oh, hilarious! Rowan Atkinson is a modern. What the hell's his name? Cary Grant. Cary Grant. Wow, what a what a bold claim! Hot take. It's all mistaken identity. I mean. Yeah, but Cary Grant does a lot of talking, and Bean does no talking. He talks with his eyes. <laughs> He's got some, yeah. But um, no, I mean, I think there's a there's another direct connection that I find interesting. Is we kind of brought it up earlier. Is the movie Charade, which is kind of famously known as the Hitchcock movie that Hitchcock didn't make. It's very very similar to this, except Audrey Hepburn is kind of the person caught up by accident in this whole thing, and Cary Grant is also in it, and he's the one that's on the inside. It's just as funny, same kind of like high-level espionage with these people caught up in it that don't really want to have anything to do with it. Um, right. And just kind of I think it the out. music's better in, in Charade, in my personal opinion. <laughs> it's more noticeable. Bernard Herrmann's pretty good at keeping it in the background and not being too overt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When, uh, when Charade came out, the New York Times said it was halfway between a screwball comedy and North by Northwest. There you go. Wow. <laughs> so, so it's across that New York us. Times. Yeah. yeah. So they they directly compared it right at the time. So, I mean, there were only nine movies at that time. That's <laughs> <Right>. enough <laughs> of that. Um. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think you know the bottom line is is it's it's this movie that had made huge waves in cinema, and we can still see it, its legacy in the way movies are made today. Yeah. Um, okay. And right. that's that's fun to follow, for sure. Mm-hmm. So that's it so, left those other eight movies in the dust. It was a fun romp. Crop dust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, we've yeah. done a pretty good job of beating this movie to death. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, gross. Um, so maybe uh, next week slash next episode. What movie are we are we are we looking at doing? We're doing Wendy and Lucy. So I Wendy mean, and Lucy is it like a cool fun romp or what's the deal? <laughs> Ooh, yeah, it's, a, it's romp? a fun fun romp about a woman losing her dog. What? No, it's. <laughs> uh, is that a euphemism? With... No, dude. What would be a euphemism for? for? Yeah, what would that be a euphemism for? Can you explain, explain that? yourself, we, Vince. We should, ask, <laughs> we should ask our audience what they think it would be. <laughs> 
It uh, it's got Michelle Williams in it. <laughs> and, Michelle Rodriguez, uh, uh, directed by Kelly Reichardt, and uh, I, it's kind of related because it takes place in the Pacific Northwest, so it's kind of north by northwest from where we are. <laughs> Is it? So that's that's the next episode. But um, as we mentioned here, North by Northwest was was a a working title. It wasn't supposed to be the final title. So we're curious to see what what everyone else can come up with for a, a, a new title for the movie. Um, I have two. I got one. But we I should ask two. our audience, too. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. no, that's what I'm, I am asking. Oh, you should ask, ask the audience. That's what yeah, literally Rob is doing right now. So we're going to put it up on MySpace. <laughs> yes, on our MySpace. MySpace.com slash... Friendster.69. Right. Um, no, you can you can tweet at, the, at, at the sign Brubies. at the Brewies uh, or email <laughs> us at thebrewies at gmail.com. What do you think... Uh, a good title for North by Northwest uh, should be. Um, but I think we've got a couple of ideas of our own to get you started. Oh, yeah. All right, I'll go first. So in the spirit of these hilarious working titles, I have two. One, Well-Dressed Man Takes Public Transportation. Ooh. Now, <laughs> this is like a stock photo. Now, my other one uh, is uh, if Jimmy Stewart had still been... A part of the potential casting, Clarence, Mr. The bank. Mr. Smith goes to South Dakota. Oh. <laughs> Mr. Smith goes to Rapid City. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I was thinking of uh, the Bourbon Chaser. Uh. Ooh, nice! Oh, that's such a just... real title. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I just had Rushmore's Eleven. <laughs> Why Eleven? Because of Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's 11. <laughs> 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 it all goes back to Ocean's Eleven. I have it's uh, the 11th movie. That's why I called it that. Oh, uh, okay. I thought it was the 8th movie. No, no, there no, are no. three unknown <laughs> movies recently revealed. Secret Hitchcock. It's mostly just it's that old movie of the euphemism. horse of the horse running. <laughs> yeah, and no, it's like it's like eight and a half. So eight and a half is the eighth and a half movie, and then this is nine, right? <laughs> yeah, you got it. All I could think of was uh. Rot and Eve, because his name is Rot and her name is Eve. <laughs> oh, the Rotten Apple. Rotten Apple. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. We're hoping everyone else has better ideas than we did. Yeah, those <laughs> are bad. So, so yeah, good definitely uh, find us on Twitter, at the Brewies, or email us at thebrewies at gmail.com. Um, and then uh, we'll see you with our next episode, where we cover Wendy and Lucy. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. See you later. Bye.